today I'm very excited. I'm so excited, in fact, that I got the champagne out because we're going live to Paris where we're going to say hello to Nate Phelps, who is the Senior Director of Global Talent Acquisition at our Paris-based, at a Paris-based tech unicorn, uh, Critio. Nate and I were teammates a few years back and uh, we know each other very well already. We know that it's perfectly acceptable to be drinking champagne from Coop this early in the morning. Um, and we knew he'd be an ideal guest for today. I wanted to get him on here and uh, and have him share some of his learnings and thoughts with you this morning. So get your coffee, um, sit back and relax, and, and let's get started. So obviously, Nate, you're in Paris. Um, how's things going with the, the situation, as we like to refer to it over there? <laughs> Uh, well, well, first of all, good morning, everybody, and good morning, Marissa, and, and thank you for inviting me on. I'm obviously thrilled to catch up, as always. We'll stay on topic, <laughs> I promise, most of the meeting. Uh, Paris is fabulous, of course. It's sunny and, and lovely, just like London, but more fabulous. Um, and how are things in Paris uh, in spite of everything? Um, look, there are worse places to be confined. I think the French have kind of done a great job of embracing um the spirit of confinement as we would say um unfortunately i have turned into a baguette over the last eight weeks because that's all i've really been able to do is to eat um nate among a passion for french bread um that we both share we also share another another fact in that we have both lived and worked in four cities around the world uh that's sydney singapore london and paris What's your story? Why did you move to those different places? Was it on purpose? Was it by accident? Tell us a bit about what led you on that adventure. So I'm one of those really lucky people uh, who is in some circles known as a trailing spouse. Uh, and uh, we uh, were originally based in, in Sydney. Um, for those folks, Marissa and I are both Australian. And, uh, and my partner actually transferred to London uh, for his work. Uh, so uh, I was with Sapient at the time and, and was fortunate enough to be able to transfer with them. Uh, and then uh, again, my, uh, my partner was, uh, had a great opportunity to transfer from London to Singapore. Uh, so I followed him to Singapore. Uh, and then uh, I uh, had a great opportunity to take a, a global role um, uh, here at Critio, which is based in Paris. Uh, so uh, that is where I am now. Excellent. And um, obviously you started, well, I know this, you started working at Critio in Singapore as the Asia-Pacific lead for talent acquisition, um, where you did an exceptional job because you had a phenomenally amazing boss and also were amazing yourself. Um, <laughs> but tell me, what led you to join Critio in the very beginning? Um, it, it's, it's funny because at the time, um, I actually took quite a, a, quite a decent period of time to look for my next role when I, when I moved to Singapore and I was really looking for something which was going to give me the chance to, you know, work with a great business, but I think equally from a personal perspective, be able to lead a team and, and really be able to build something, um, which, uh, was impactful. And, um, it's, it's quite funny because at the time I was also talking to another very well-known technology business, um, that many people that rhymes, you know, with, that rhymes with Google. <laughs> <laughs> that rhymes with Google. And, uh, and then I talked to Critio, and I guess for me, the, the thing that stood out for me for Critio was um, its uh, its story. And, you know, it was really much that story of the underdog. And uh, I think when you have a business which is really in that position, it, it really permeates the culture. So you start to see it in the spirit of how people work and. I guess the mission that unites them in terms of what they want to do. And, and for me, that's what really stood out. Um, plus the opportunity to, to 
build. Um, there was a, mm -hmm. there was a decent foundation, but there was still a lot of work to be able to do. Um, and obviously, I'm a mad francophile, which uh, which sealed the deal. So, um, so at the moment, you're you've moved from Singapore to Paris to lead the global talent acquisition organisation, which is um, a, a significant achievement in the the four years that you've been working at, at Critio. Um, what are the big learnings that you've taken from scaling the, the, the global team, your team, scaling Critio over the last four years? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think <laughs> if I uh, have, a, have a good leader, that's the first thing. Um, uh, I actually think uh, there's a couple of things, right? So the first thing that I would say is don't, I mean, it's cliche and you know, I hate absolutely loathe speaking in cliches but um don't run before you can walk i think that's one of that's one of the first things and by that i mean um i think sometimes there's a tendency to underestimate the importance of mechanics of recruiting and getting the basics right um, i think mm -hmm. um, particularly at the moment there's a lot of um uh, risk of sounding my age um, i think there's a lot of talk about you know the advent of technology and how it can really transform how you how you uh, run a recruiting function which is absolutely true um, but I think sometimes there's a tendency to leap into bleeding edge before you've even got your your foundations right. And, you know, when I think about when I've worked with businesses, invariably the majority of the feedback that you get from the business when things aren't going well um, or typically where there's always room for improvement, it typically relates to the basics that aren't being done properly. So for me, mm -hmm. I actually think it's really important if you can't get the basics right before you get everything else done, um, your your foundation's not solid, so I actually need to. That's that's one of the big things that that I've learned, and and you know from our from our time working together, we invested a lot in terms of really building recruiter capability. Um, because if your recruiters yeah. aren't capable, you can get a million people through top of funnel and increase your conversions, but at the end of the day, if they're all managed by recruiters who don't know how to do the basics of their job or to do the, those elements of their job well it falls over anyway. So, um, and, you know, not even to, to think about the impact it has from a candidate experience perspective. So um, for me, I think that was something that that, that is really essential um, to get right. Um, I, one of the things that I remember us talking about quite a bit when we worked, but when we worked together was the fact that it is a profession in the same mm. way that you would hire an accountant to do the books or you would hire a, a lawyer to, you know, do your legal work for you. Recruiting is a profession that has mm. skills and capabilities that not everyone can do, you know. Mm. Um, and I know you in particular were were very very diligent about kind of setting a standard for the recruiters in your team, um, and I'm sure that continues today. And and having a very high professional standard for the actual work that they were doing. So sorry, I interrupted mm. you there. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's, it's it's exactly right, and I think you know. Unfortunately, and I'm sure many people in this call can can probably um, relate to this. Recruitment is, I think, one of those fields which, unfortunately, many people think that they can do. Um, it's kind of like oh, everyone I, thinks I, they can do it. I hired somebody <laughs> once. I'm an expert in recruiting, you know, and and, and I think it, it really underestimates the the, the skill of the craft. Um, and um, you know, and I I think. Um, but again, you know, we have a role as leaders to really convey the value that we add as a function. And and again, I think um, your recruiters are the face of that function, right? They are the ones who show you what it's capable of more so perhaps than than the technology, um, or to, you know, to an extent. So um, so I think that's probably one of the one of the the big things. Um, the other thing as well that I'll just add is. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes what 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 works well elsewhere may not work for you, and that's okay. Um, and I think it's you have to be comfortable knowing that 
um, you know, you've got to know your business and you've got to know the culture of your organization and what will work. Um, you know, we have a lot of discussions around, um, uh, you know, oh, can we look at this sort of model to support our recruiting engine? You know, have we tried, um, you know, fundamentally changing from a process perspective doing this? And you kind of think, oh, you know, that's worked really well here. Yep, that's great. And that's worked really well. well and that's great. But our organization is fundamentally different, you know, either in terms of the how your managers interview, the level of skill of your managers, um, the markets that you operate in. Um, there are so many variables that you really have to be comfortable knowing your business and then knowing what will work for your business and then being able to, I think, really commit to that. I know one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past, and it's it's a topic actually that came up um, when I was talking recently with um, a friend of mine, also in Paris, David Bizza. Google back in the day kind of set the standard for how people were going to recruit and and have iterated their system and, and their, their practices over the last 20 years. But you know, for so many people, it's like the the gold standard of how recruiting should be done. You know, you have this huge sourcing engine, you have these scoring mechanics, etc., and it works really, really well at Google. And and you know, no criticism there. Laszlo was an amazing leader, and 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 the the way that he he set up that structure. And of course, now it's all been crowdsourced, and you can read about it at Rework. But Google's an American company that's based in in California. That you know has <laughs> unlimited resources, and they you know potentially have have things that they can do that not everybody else can. So it's great to hear you sort of point out um, that things can be different when you work for different kinds of organisations that are structured in different ways, based in different countries, and that fundamentally have different cultures um, that need to be that need to be you need to be mindful of. Um, so the, obviously, scaling the team that you're leading today, what's the best advice that you've been given about how to scale your team? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I'm sure it's a, it's a, it's a trap, everybody. She's trying to get me to say that I was my leader and parted these great words of wisdom on me at some point in time. Not at all. <laughs> uh, sorry, what was the question? Oh, I forgot what you asked me. <laughs> I was just going to, I was just wondering, like, what's a piece of advice or a, a kind of a North Star or some kind of, you know, cliche or something that you've, that you've used uh, to help scale your team today? Um, so, uh, I would say, um, uh, something that I've helped to scale the team. Um, so I think, I mean, sort of to add on what we talked about there, uh, know what works for your business. I think that's, that's, that's something that that's really key. Um, I think on an individual level, you've got to be able to, um, think about where your business is headed. Um, as much as where it is today, I think sometimes we get very caught in getting through what we have to get through. And, you know, recruiting can be really, really reactive. And I think it's very easy to get caught in that trap, like, oh, well, we need to react to something right now. And look, obviously, at that point in time, you do. But I think you can't lose sight of, of where your organization is headed. And is the model that you have when you're when you're thinking about scale, are you scaling for today or are you scaling for tomorrow? Uh, and... You know, we see it at the moment where where our own business, you know, is on a is on a transformation journey, which is a really exciting thing to be part of. But it also means that okay, well, what we look like today might look different tomorrow. So, are we designed the right way? You know, are we scaling the right way um, to suit our business as it evolves? And as a as a recruiting function, you're a partner to the to the success of your organisation, right? As it grows and as it as it evolves. So, I think you really need to be thinking in step and in sync with your business. And, 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 you know, the, the closer that you are and the more um, 
uh, you know, we used to talk about business acumen and still do. And, and mm. if you're sort of um, hand in hand with your business leader, you know, they have a plan to scale the business and you should be right there in lockstep with them, you know, scaling the business with them. And, and you're right, you know, sometimes it is seen as a very reactive function. Um, and I know in the in the places that I've worked in the past and, and continue to partner with, that's something that, you know, can be very frustrating. And, and of course, we've all seen that over the last few months where the, you know, immediate reaction to, to the lockdown and to the, to the pandemic was, you know, completely stop hiring across the board. And we're, we're fortunate that we continue to work with quite a few companies that are, you know, are, are seizing the opportunity really to, to be very proactive in um, building their teams during this time and embracing remote hiring, embracing remote onboarding mm. um, and embracing a remote work culture, you know, in general. So um, hopefully the, the big learning from this is is that we can still be proactive and we can still use quiet time to do really high quality work in talent acquisition, mm. um, even if the hiring numbers aren't there. Mm. Um, something that you and I have, have, uh, have spoken about many times is about change and you know, we we've took, we obviously Nate and I know each other really well. We know each other's you know career history and and the ups and the downs and all of the things that we've been through, changing countries, changing companies, etc. Um, as a talent professional, what's you know what's some what's your tips and tricks or your uh, advice, if you like, for adapting to change, particularly change that you weren't expecting or that you didn't really want. <laughs> How do you kind of cope during those times? Mm. Um, so. I, I tried smearing Vaseline on my lens to make me look younger on this webcam, but it's perhaps not worked. So I'll full disclosure: I was around, I was alive and working during the the financial downturn in two thousand and eight. So, um, you know, I sort of witnessed you know a, a version of today where many recruiters mm -hmm. find themselves really worried about their jobs. To be frank, and I think it's something that, mm -hmm. that we can be really honest about. Um, and so for me, I was really fortunate at that point in time. Um, you know, I had a great leader. Um, when I was work, where I was working, and um, she gave me the opportunity to diversify my skills. And when I say diversify, she really allowed me to move into a role which was far broader than the the specialist TA role that I was in, um, mm -hmm. which exposed me to generalist HR practice, learning and development, compensation and benefits, uh, and, and mobility. And you know, I, I ended up sticking to that path for maybe four or five years when I worked there. And I actually am incredibly grateful for that opportunity because not only has it given me a skill set, which means that I can perhaps adapt to other roles if needed, but equally as a, as a talent acquisition professional, it's actually, I think, made me better at my job because it, I understand the role of my peers within a people organization much better than if I had just only ever worked you know, in a sort of blinkered TA role. So I think diversity skill is incredibly important in terms of the paths that it open, the paths that open up for you, right? And, and I think that that's something that's incredibly important. But equally, if you still want to specialize as things, you know, go back to a, a you know, perhaps a more, dare I say, normal environment, um, you're still equipped with skills that will add value to your specialization in some way, shape or form. So um, I think that's incredibly important. And the other thing that I will say that you and I, I know we've talked about and it always surprised me that, that you used this for me in particular was resilience. Um, I think resilience is um, as hard as it may be at times to put on a brave face and to really, you know, get out there and, and, and do what you have to do. Um, you've got to do it. And um, I mean, you know, me, Marissa, I was born 
cynic, so it's very odd for me to speak this way, but um, you know, I, I really do believe it. I think resilience is key, and I think sometimes people under, underestimate how resilient they actually are. And underestimate, underestimate that it is a key component of success. You know, if you look at all great leaders, you know, the people that we read leadership books about, like Barack Obama and people like that, they've all had setbacks, they've all had you know, trying to get into universities that they didn't get into or, you know, being laid off from jobs in the past. And, um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I know you love a good cliche, yeah. so I'll pop that in there for you. And it, <laughs> and it gives you, I think, I think the other thing as well is think about the opportunities um, that can come from it. Because I can tell you I wouldn't be mm. sitting here today if that hadn't happened to me however many years ago that it was mm-hmm. right, unfortunately, 10 years ago. Like, I wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened because it, mm-hmm. you know, it set me on a path that I probably wouldn't have followed. So, um, yeah. yeah. I, I look, you know, and the same would apply to me as well. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm that old that I also <laughs> worked during the global financial crisis and at the time, you know, lost a, lost my position as a result of it. Um, my Most people of our generation would have seen a parent um, or both parents get laid off from, you know, companies that they may have worked at for 20, even 30 years. So it's uh, it's a very normal sort of part of life. And you look at, you know, the newer generations that are coming into the workforce where the idea of working for something or anyone full time is, you know, mm-hmm. anathema to them and, and, and hence the birth of the gig economy. So, um, yeah, anyway, um, what would, sorry, I digress and I'm going off topic, which I promised Nate I wouldn't do. Time for a quick sip of the champagne before I ask the next question. Ah, oh, if you're having one, I'm having one. It's fine. So it's committed. It's fine. I mean, it's 12 o'clock. It's definitely past 12 o'clock in Sydney. So we're all good. Um, what would you say are the three things that talent leaders should be doing right now to keep their function resilient, speaking of resilience, and mm. adding value, um, you know, as we look forward to, to the period of recovery? What should we be doing right now? Um, so the first thing I think is find ways to add value. That's the first thing. And I think, uh, you know, so we, you know, we're, we're like everybody else. We have, um, we're not hiring as, as much as we were um, you know, pre, mm-hmm. pre-situation. Um, so think about, I mean, for me, I was like, great, let's think about all of the things that we always say we never have time to do um, that need to be done, but, you know, they just get pushed to the side because we're always reacting. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, think about all of those things um and and you know we've we've really pulled together as a as a as a team to um prioritize what we want to get done um and and in that work what can we do that will equip us and prepare us for when we relaunch um and i think that's uh you know key to trying to get ahead um you know you want to get ahead of the of the curve so um i think that's uh, a definite a definite piece of work to do um an extension of that is think about your talent pools um and you know this has been a really interesting one for me because i mean i've kind of thought you know i'm sure you're the same we've I've kind yeah. of always uh, grown up if you like with that mentality you know well you don't have a job mm. well that's fine you know we just want to talk to you anyway because you're the sort of person mm. that, that we're interested in um but i think for many younger recruiters that's a uh, less experienced recruiters that is um, a slightly different um yeah, many people aren't experienced or unfamiliar with that. So um, think about how you connect and socialize with your talent pool during a period um, where there's not necessarily a need uh, and think mm-hmm. about how you engage with them. Um, and, and again, you know, we're doing a lot of work with our employer brand team uh, around that as well. And 
how we create candidate personas, um, how we develop content for that audience, and, and then obviously looking at the, the dissemination of that content. Um, so I think that's some really key stuff that, that you can do is to prepare yourself and the business um, for the shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually think that as a leader, um, from a personal perspective, I think be human, um, as trite as it sounds. I think it's really important to acknowledge what's happening. I think if you kind of pretend, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine until it's not fine, um, I, I don't think that's good. Um, I, I sort of always, you know, what my, all the politicians are doing. Well, I suppose it's worked out pretty well for them, <laughs> right? So, uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, so I, I think that that, yeah, that, I mean, that personally, it's really important. And you know, if you're like me, look, I'm really privileged. I work with a really great team of um, not just professional, but really bright people. And you know, I think I, I respect I respect them as people. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a, as much transparency and, and openness as we can um, around things and, and how they're progressing. Um, um, and, and one thing that I will say um, is I think these, again, I'll show my age, but I think there's been such an obsession around the importance of data and the value of data and the role of data um, these last few years, particularly in recruiting, that I think sometimes we forget the importance of words and um, you know, that's something that personally, I, I also say that because I'm a words person and not a numbers person, but mm-hmm. I think that um, don't underestimate as a leader, uh, the power of your words uh, and the and the mm-hmm. influence and the support that that can bring your teams. I totally agree. And, and and certainly people who know me will have heard me say, you know, very similar things in the past as well. So I couldn't, couldn't be more aligned with you on that one. Um, companies like Facebook and, and others, I think Twitter recently made an announcement that, you know, they're going to be able to, they're going to keep people at home you know, for if they want to forever. Um, uh, companies like Facebook are beginning to see the opportunity that comes with remote hiring and they're setting up, you know, hubs away from Menlo Park over in the US. Um, the fact that they're, you know, able to diversify the talent pool outside of those big cities and, and not just focusing on people who are willing to relocate to, to those big cities, mm. um, you know, is a huge positive. What do you think or do you think that this will have an impact or potentially flow across into Europe, which is perhaps, you know, certainly continental Europe, where where we've both worked and, and lived before, is perhaps a little bit more traditional in that kind of mindset. So, um, and and perhaps even more so the sort of further <laughs> the further into Europe that you go. So, do you think that that will spread or, or will have an impact over on the? Um, I would like to think. Yeah, I would. I would like to think so. And you know, it's. I mean, it's there's there's hiring remotely and and managing a remote like that whole. The, it's very topical, obviously, how you manage remotely. And you're right. I think in in some markets, mm. it's the, there is perhaps a more traditional view of management by site rather than management by by outcome. Um, but I think, you know, his, I think historically, where often the where people uh, where organizations chose to perhaps staff in other locations was driven predominantly by cost um, and it was uh, low what you would like a low value task um, or a transactional task that was moved to a certain market for a cost benefit um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that now I think not only is there access to talent in new markets but I think it's it's also about if you want to say sort of the great democratization of, of the opportunity but I think it gives hopefully opportunities which are not just the you know the, the sort of the lower end tasks that that we don't want to do in in, in other parts of, of the continent um, it's giving that access to opportunity to people who who may not otherwise have access for for many reasons and you know whether it's economic reasons um, family reasons people who can't relocate people don't have access um, I think 
being able to give somebody an opportunity to um, contribute to an organization, um, you know, in, in, you know, perhaps more, um, more senior roles, more elevated roles than, than has historically been the case, I think is what I would, I would hope to see. Um, you know, mm. I, and, and I look at, you, you lead a global team and, and have people based, you know, in the US and, and even in Brazil, but equally in, in, you know, some very traditional workplaces over in Asia Pacific where, you know, openness to remote working is, is really, really limited. Um, and I think, you know, not just the democratization of the opportunity, but also I think culturally, um, you know, in so many countries, there are, you know, these huge populations with rising rents, rising costs of living. We're both from Sydney. Neither of us could afford to live there anymore since we left because of, of, how, of, of how ridiculous it's gotten over there. And, and what I do hope is that, you know, there's also all the knock-on effects for, you know, planning, schools, um, you know, commerce, small business, and, and, you know, maybe even Greta, shout out for you, um, you know, potentially for the environment as well as, as people are not having to commute um, so mm. much. So I certainly hope that there is that positive impact that comes out of, um, out of this period. We've got just a couple of minutes left, Nate. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that have got nothing to do with scaling talent acquisition teams around the world. Um, so I'm going to give you two words and you've just got to pick the first word that comes to your head, okay? So here we go. Uh, Australia or France? France. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Champagne or orange juice? Champagne. Carly or Madonna? Madonna always. <laughs> Bread or cake? Oh. I got him. Both. <laughs> French to the core. <laughs> um, what are you watching at the moment, Nate? We're all, you know, looking at box sets. We're all, I mean, I've watched normal people three times now and I'm probably going to go for a fourth this weekend. What, what's keeping you relaxed? What's keeping you calm during this period? So I know it drives you nuts when I say it, but I'm I am like neck deep in Korean drama. I'm onto <laughs> like my sixth. I'm onto my sixth Korean drama in maybe four weeks. And if that doesn't sound impressive, bear in mind Korean dramas are all sixteen episodes long per series, and usually each episode is like an hour and a half. Wow, you, that it's, requires it's an commitment. Imp- yeah, it's an investment, and I, I I am actually still working, believe it or not. So, uh, yeah, I'm like Korean drama is K drama is my thing right now. I'm I my homage to my uh, former to my that former is to your former team and your former home. That is, I have to say, really impressive because my, one of the main reasons I like normal people is because it only goes for half an hour each episode. Um, and just to finish up, then, Nate, what is the one thing, the one phrase, the one value, your core principle, guiding principle that you live by? Um, uh, be true to yourself I think in you know me like personal integrity yeah. is, is probably my guiding it's my guide it's my north star and at the yeah. end of the day I think as long as you know within yourself that you've done the right thing by you um, uh, I think that's I think that's right oh and I'll, I'll add sort of like an, another half one treat people well be kind to people I think that's important mm-hmm.